Hello and welcome. I'm Luke Burridge and this is the show called Luke's Creative Podcast. In it, I talk to creative people about why they are creative and how they are creative and all different kinds of things like that. If you want to know more about the whole podcast project in its totality, please check out episode number one of season one where I explain the idea behind it in uh, in a lot of depth. So in this episode, I talk to a fellow juggler and entertainer called John Nations. And actually, um, it was the conversations that I've had with him in the past, which was a big inspiration for this podcast project in general, because we always talked a lot about performing and a lot about our shows and a lot about comedy and things like that. And I always thought, well, this is a kind of conversation I'm sure other people would really enjoy. I need to get this on tape. Well, not on tape. I need to get this on my laptop and share it with the world. So that's what I did when he was, uh, uh, he came around to my house once and I said, hey, take this microphone, I'll take this other microphone and let's record a good conversation. So we talk um, a bit about street show performing and the things that we have in common and our ideas there, but mostly we talk about comedy and our comedic influences and uh, and how we use comedy in our show. And also we both have a good rant about the kind of things that we, you know, that we hate about other professional well, I would say other professional comedians, but other people who use comedy in their show in ways that we really dislike. So hopefully you enjoy this episode. And if you do enjoy this episode or any other episode that I've put out so far, please email me. Luke at juggler.net is the best way to get hold of me. Also, you can check out my blog and all the creative stuff that I'm doing there. I've put out lots of photography things since the last episode and some videos. And I was at the Berlin Juggling Convention, loads of photos and a bit of video from there as well. Please check that out. Um, LukeBurge.com forward slash blog blog also lukeburge.com forward slash creative for the website um of this podcast and uh, yeah just generally check out my website or follow me on twitter as well i'm at lukeburge on twitter so thanks a lot stay in touch and uh, please enjoy this episode with john nations what we're going to do now is we're going to talk with um, a friend of mine who's a fellow juggler and performer. His name is John Nations. And so say hello to everyone listening on the podcast, John. Hello to everyone. So just um, just so people get a little bit used to uh, what we're doing here. You are a juggler. Now, you said this was uh, interesting before because we wanted to have a conversation now about juggling and performing and comedy and that kind of stuff. But it turns out you've never seen my full show. And you've never seen mine. Exactly. So just, just to fill people in, because people might know a little bit about me as a juggler, but we can talk about this. But what, what kind of things do you do as a, as a performer, as an entertainer? Uh, what I do is uh, I wanted to be a great stage juggler who was really technical uh, and who blew people's mind with, wow, he's so good. My hero was Anthony Gatto. And of course, nobody gets as good as him. But uh, I, I wanted to be like that. I had other heroes, Dick Franco, uh, Chris Cremo, Sergei Ignatov, uh, the Nanjing jugglers of China. And I was practicing these hard tricks, high-level tricks at the time, like in the 90s. And, uh, and I wasn't getting them, but I was getting better at juggling. So I would, in South Carolina, I'm the only person that ever came out of the state who's a professional juggler, I think. And if, if there's anyone hearing this who is a professional juggler from South Carolina, please contact me. I'd love to know that you exist. But it's a, it's a juggling wasteland. It's a circus wasteland. It's a Bible Belt place. So what I wanted to do was, part of it was to escape from there or bring juggling to it. And, and it turned out that because it was hard for me to be the great technical juggler, I have a problem with my left wrist and I'm not fast with that hand. It turned out that I would just make a joke out of everything. And, and I always watched stand-up comedy. I almost studied it. I was like a student of comedy. Comedy timing, jo- joke construction, uh, similarities between different jokes, uh, the role of an accent, the role of pauses, the role of, of really wordy or not wordy and 
enough joking and stuff. So I think because I was a student of juggling, because I was a student of comedy, to, to answer your question, I do a street show in which it's it's got a kind of a script. It's got the certain tricks that are going to go in there in the same order. But within that framework, I let the audience play a role and the place that I am and uh, the wind and the, the temperature and you know especially the, the country, the culture, the language. And I, when I'm not very funny, I try to bring up the technical level of my juggling. And when I'm not very good, what do you say when you're not very funny? When it's when the jokes aren't working, or when you're the just jokes not aren't working. It? Well, the thing is, part of the show is me telling jokes that I've written or that have come to me while juggling uh, in the street. And then part of the show is me just trying to riff off things that happen and and things occurring because every street show is different, which is why I don't burn out as badly as I would if I were like a performer in cats or you know yeah. uh, or, or chess or some other musical mama mia I, uh, musicals are great but i can't see how those performers hit those same marks sing those same notes for the same number of milliseconds every night do the same well dance i step. think that's a skill that you can get and is very rewarding to get in your own right i mean you know i, I i've got some good friends here of course you were reeling off this list of names like someone like anthony gatto People, most people listening to this podcast probably don't aren't jugglers, you know, so they don't know who that guy is. But he's just like the best juggler. He's performing with Cirque du Soleil. Is he in Florida at the moment? In yeah, the, in... because his wife was, they were having a baby, so he asked if he could be stationary, and they put him from Cusa, the traveling show, into La Nuba. Yeah, and he's like another main feature act, but he's just he just does the same routine over and over again, and he's flawless. I mean, he's just amazing, you know. But it's very see... short. It's it's short. Yeah, it's, he does. It's eleven minutes. He does. Yeah, eleven minutes of the most blinding technical juggling you're going to see. Right. You but won't yeah, like see this thing, Yeah, he just doesn't drop. Maybe uh, drops now and then or something. He'll say I'm, that he drops once in a while. But yeah. I've seen him in the in the Kuza show yeah. and he didn't drop. My friends who saw them saw him said he didn't drop. And you make a good point that he's doing this trick, this this routine that yeah. is basic, basically the same. Yeah. Every and time. like someone like Chris Cuomo, I've seen him. Yeah. You know, and he does the same act that his grandfather was so doing. Not the all, same act, but right. you know, that Bella kind, there is a role for that kind of performance and that kind of thing that you're going to be the best in you know if you just keep doing that you're going to improve a lot however like you say it's it the I think I actually talked about this with someone else I, I did for this and interviewed for this podcast as well but yeah there is a that you want to keep that you know that freshness there and you can do that well as, yeah as for strict. yourself mainly the audience is if the audience is new every time you can be the robotic guy who does it exactly the same way but I can't live that way I know that you say that it's a skill you can acquire but when you ask me what I do I go out it's there it's not for me and I, I try well yeah. I try to make the show fun for the audience by making it fun for me. Yeah. I take the same old show. I focus on the fact that, hey, it's a fresh audience. They've never seen me. I try to deliver the jokes in slightly new and different ways and put the punch into the lines and the tricks. Um, so I have turned into an entertain. I was an entertaining kid. I tried to do accents for my family. Uh, I tried to... Uh, uh, write jokes. I, I tried to. Were you my the dad was a kid funny at school. Guy. No, I was really quiet and shy at school. Really? But I, I admired most of all the people at my schools. The ones I admired the most were not the jock muscle heads, and they were not the uh, absolute brains who nailed every test. Those guys are impressive, sure. But what I was amazed by were people who always had a joke ready. They they, they would walk in the room, and we'd all be expecting them to zing. Yeah, they would like look towards you. Like, you yeah. I wasn't really that guy, not really. But there was a few times when I became that guy That's at school great. just for the few times like someone would like a teacher would say something and almost like I could sort wait of for you sense, to come back I could sense the the, the people in the in the uh, uh, in the in, I was going to say in the audience but it wasn't the it was in the class was sort of like turn and slowly and have a look at me to see like what 
just stupid comment and I'll say something and the teacher would just go get out and I'd just have a detention <laughs> yeah. and I'd spend the spend the you know the next you know the next week in you know spending my lunchtime in the library you know sort of polishing shells you know you know just you know the kind of shit that you did but Which it was they it, think is a punishment yeah, you but, think really, a punishment, but to be honest in the end I was I pretty much went to the library most lunchtimes <laughs> anyway either that or to the computer room at school but yeah it was it was that kind of thing I wasn't that kid I'm not saying that I was the joker at school but sometimes it did happen that you know I, I was known I for mean, the guy who would be I wanted willing to, be, to stay but I was too quiet and shy. So I'm glad that you got your shot at it. Even well, if it got I'm you a detention. I'm not saying that I was. I'm just saying Luke, that you know? there was that element where yeah. I did actually notice people would sort of turn and look at me and wait for me to say a, a stupid comment, which, you know, I try to do. It wasn't always that great, but, you know, it became the expectation. So so when you became a, a, a like, how did you just, just a, just a very quick thing. Don't want to get too much into this. But to, when you became a professional, did you think, ah, street shows is what I'm going to do now? No, uh, no. The goal was to be on stages and, and blow people's mind and have people call me and say this great juggler and have him introduce me maybe a circus ring or a stage or what Las Vegas and have him come out and just do this amazing stuff look terrific yep. have good teeth and good hair and good a good body and a You've good costume good teeth. yeah thanks uh, and, and I was gonna have I was just gonna have this oh hold on oh, one phone, don't worry about it Okay, quick edit there. I took the phone to, call. Yeah, I wanted to uh, be on the stages and have this flawless technical juggling. And all my practice was set up to run every pattern perfectly. So the start, the middle, and the finish were something I knew. Now, Anthony was my hero. He could do everything for a billion years without a drop or a bad throw or a bad catch. And I wanted to have those long endurance runs. And I, I met Bruce Serafian. I was practicing with him. He was having those long runs, and I wanted to do it. But I was always having these drops or bad starts. I just knew that I wasn't a natural juggler, yeah. that it was a struggle. So. As I gave up the dream of being this stage juggler who was so flawless and dazzling people, I would still juggle on little gigs, and I found people laughing at what I said. I had been studying comedy for so long, I could adapt a joke from Dave Barry, the humor writer, uh, a book, or I could adapt uh, some routine that I heard on a, on a movie years ago, or yep. even write something completely off the cuff. Sometimes I'd get lucky, and the joke wouldn't be an adapted old joke. It would be brand new from me, and I was so happy if it well, worked. F f when you're starting off, it's very difficult to go, right, I'm going to do a full show, or even 20 minutes. I'm going to do 20 minutes, and I'm, and I'm going to be funny all that time. And I'm going to juggle at the same time. Yeah, of course you're not going to. You can it, say that all you want, but yeah, you're not it's, going it's to. It's not going to happen. Exactly. You're going to fail at that first time. Especially, especially if you expect to succeed. Yeah, it's, especially if you're just like this. And I've told this to so many people over the years. They say, well, what do you do with, with street show juggling? What do you do with this? It's just like you just got to get on stage and you're going to fail. You're going to fall flat on your ass. Like the first 10, 20 times you do it, you're going to suck. And then you're going to start going, oh, this is how it works. Because you need to do that practice. Yeah, it's definitely there. But let's go a little bit more about the comedy that you're talking about as well. You're well, let me you... touch on what oh, you okay. just said before yeah. we move on. You're correct. You want to send your new performers who want to perform, send them out there and tell them that you'll probably fail. But but don't let someone go on a street show or a stage show if they don't have anything to show oh, no, or no. say. Yeah. A lot of people will go out there when they've just learned to juggle a couple of objects. Uh, if they want to have a pass by where they're just sort of standing they're practicing and smiling and saying yeah. hello and the hat is there that's okay that's passed by busking yeah. but if you want to have an act where you can be on a stage or so you should I advise anyone who's going to perform have something like you've got some kick-ass trick yeah. you can do a standing backflip with you know you throw a ball up there do a standing backflip and catch and go ta-da at least you've got that yeah and, and then yeah 
even with your cool trick, expect to fail a lot. Mm. That's but well, don't what go I did, with actually. Nothing. Let's just talk about because you were just saying because we're in Berlin at the moment. We're at home and you were saying, oh yeah, I went down to Alexanderplatz and you know, <laughs> and, and it wasn't. But then the thing is, what I did actually when I first came to Berlin, I didn't have a job and I was looking around. I thought, oh, I'll just do some street performing, and I realized that actually there's not that many places in Berlin that you can do a really good street show and gather a big crowd. Right. You know, it's it's actually right. pretty tricky places to do that, and it was like winter as well. So what I would oh. do is I'd go down to Parisaplatz and I would just set up my stuff and I would just perform um, I had like a, a you know stereo that I could pl- play music but generally I didn't do that all I did was run through the acts that I was working on and just ran through them and people would stop and they would gather around and I would just finish off the routine and then I had a hat down in front of me and I would just sort of indicate there's a hat in front of me and they'd come forward and put the money in then I'd start a new routine a different routine and they would, some people would stay for another one and then at the end of that routine I'd mention the hat and then what I did is like oh I should just you know as I just kept on doing it and then what I did was I, I actually set up with like the roller bowler thing that I did and pretty much like well, I wouldn't say pretty much, but I, I didn't uh, like lots of. I got lots of new material there. I learned how to perform all these routines because there was no music and I wasn't talking at all. It was purely like mainly because there was lots of tourists from all over the, the place. And I didn't just want to do it. Yeah, it was purely visual. So I was doing a street show with knife juggling on a roller bowler, getting people out of the audience. I'm working with kids, all of that kind of stuff, non visually. Like, I mean, not non-verbally, completely, utterly visually. And I came up with loads of funny stuff to do there, which wasn't spoken. So now, even now, at the end of my show, even though I'm not doing it as a street show very much anymore, but when I'm doing it on a, say, when I'm working on a cruise ship, and I'm doing that same material, I know that I can, I could do the end 10 minutes of my show without speaking. And I know it's going to be funny enough, and I know I can... You know, I could do it without speaking as well, and that's why when I when I perform on on the cruise ships, when I go down to South America uh, and I'm performing cruise ships down there, um, most of the people in the audience. English is a second language, or it's not even a language. Maybe 60% They're of the people Spanish there are speakers. Spanish speakers from South America. And I get booked to be down there as the as the entertainer because my show is entertaining enough in... in uh, without the English. Without the English. You asked me that before as well. And that's why I can perform. And uh, even if I am speaking, and I am speaking doing it, I know that what I'm doing is funny enough now, that's without because speaking. You learned, it, you learned how to do this. You said... Um, with your first attempts in the winter in Berlin at Pariser Platz. Well, I didn't more. I'd done that stuff before, but that's where it got really good. Okay. That's where I because knew I could do it. Is the reason why you were not speaking because you were in Germany and you felt like, hey, I don't speak German. I'm not. Yeah, and also I did some shows where I spoke and gathered a crowd, and they just it just wasn't. It was just too cold, you know, to stand around and 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 have like I'm saying. It was only because it worked with the format that people okay. could stick stick around, see me juggle for five bit. minutes, and then leave. Okay. Or if they wanted to, they could stick around for ten minutes. And all the time I was always indicating there was a hat there that they could put some money into because yeah. it was just too cold for people to stop yeah. and, and this, stop and watch a 20 minute 30 minute 40 minute show for a street and you're saying that your hat was there all the time this yeah. is another thing that's interesting about how i differ from the bulk of street performers i've had a lot of them come and tell me why is your hat there the whole time you know my yeah. hat is there before i start the hat is there and somebody can come up to my show and treat it like a salad bar. I just want a little of this. There's a guy down the street playing the sax. My kids want to see him. They want to see the balloon sculptor. I'm going to watch, me and the kids are going to watch the juggler yeah. do his ball routine only, and then we're going to throw a euro in the hat or a couple of kroner, and we're going to go down the street. I have all my friends saying, no, you. that's not the way it's done. I say, I don't give a shit how it's done. Yeah. I'm going to do it my way because my way works for me. I'm not saying it works for everybody else. And I believe it's the same reason you say. Some people like to cherry pick entertainment. They might watch my tennis racket routine one day but they don't want to they don't have time there i do a lot of shows where i'm right in front of the bus stop and they'll come up their bus is going to be there they're waiting they smile they laugh they clap they say good job 
They smile when they put their money in their hat. And then the bus comes and they leave. I'm not even to my finale yet. Yeah. And I like it that way. I don't like the fact that if somebody loves my show but they can't stay for the last minute, then I don't get any pay from yeah, them. Yeah, and they feel you know? bad about not being yeah. able to give you money. And yeah. I feel bad and so watching them leave going, ah, if there was ways. a hat. You know? It works in different ways to different people. But right. let's bring it back, again back to the comedy as well. Like you're developing the the, the the, the comedy but you're saying that it was it, the comedy was about the mistakes you were making or just that, yeah what, that, what that, happened to me was I liked a comedian called Robert Nelson uh, well there's two Robert Nelsons Bob Nelson was the one I really knew Robert Nelson is a juggler called the butterfly man he his head is bald on the top so he has two butterflies tattooed up there real nice he calls himself the butterfly man and he was very good with uh, improv crowd reaction his whole show was him busting on the audience and the audience busting on him and really good singling out one guy as a running gag and really good use of the volunteer and really good comedy and lines also. And he was on a juggling video called Juggling by Strider Productions that was passed around on videotape dubs through the 80s. I never had an original copy of it. Yeah, it was always black and white because it's been copied that so many times. That's right. It washed out to purple and blue, you know, because it was completely, (laughs) even the blacks weren't black, you know. But but I watched that and he was on there. But my real hero for comedy at that time, uh, I had several. uh, But one of them was a guy called Bob Nelson. And this guy was not a juggler, but he did a small juggling bit with scarves to techno music in his act that was hysterical, self-effacing comedy. Yeah. And and he had so many routines that were easily quotable. And I, me and my friends were bouncing these lines around with each other so much and then laughing again and again like it yeah. never got old. And we'd tell new people, and we'd say, come watch the Bob Nelson routine. And what I noticed was he would take the simplest props and just hold them up and do something that was going to he knows it's going to fall flat on his face but it's so f- honest and open that yeah. that it's embarrassing. like he had this bit let me give you an example bob nelson routine he'd be like i happen to be the best in the world at balloon sculpting I'm the best balloon sculptor in the world, and I'll show you. I'm the fastest in the world at balloon sculpting. Watch this. Time me on this. I'm in the Guinness Book of World Records. Here we go. And uh, so he'd take this balloon and blow it up, and it wasn't a folding balloon. It was a round, like regular egg-shaped oh, right. white balloon. Yeah. And he'd go with it, and he'd go an egg, an egg, an egg. And it, he didn't fold it at all. It was yeah. just an egg-shaped balloon, yeah, right? And it's then like he would the, it's say, like, "It's a snake," and it's just a right, non- right. Yeah, and, yeah. and then he'd go, then he'd blow it up a little bit, go, "An egg that would kill a chicken." Oh my god, it's too big. Oh my god, and that was a joke that he did. I've never seen anyone else do it, but it was so bad that it was good. It worked. The audience would giggle. Yeah. And he also, at the beginning of that routine, he had a funny way to introduce it, and he had a lot of mime bits. And he said, "Okay, I'm going to do a mime bit, uh, but uh, I talk during it and sound effects because I'm not really that good at mime." And I thought that was great. <laughs> you know, the yeah. audience already likes him for saying look, I'm not that good. I'm going to make this. And he did uh, basically the little story of this really obnoxious duck and the farmer he says, I'm going to tell you what the mime is about because you might not get it. The farmer comes out. Oh, I love out. it when mimes do that because yeah. it's just like, give me a break here. I've got no idea. Man, man in a box. Everyone knows that. And, but every time that, yeah, you're just going, what's, the, what's he what's holding he his hand? Yeah. yeah. And so he, he would do the sound effects and he, he would, he, the farmer was yelling at the duck and the duck was wah, 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 obnoxious and always surviving and he'd bring out more and more explosives and guns and stuff to trap the duck and kill the I love this style where you're not that good at what you do and you're telling the audience right away. But We're going to have fun out here yeah yeah you know? I, it's it's like, like those guys who go right i'm gonna do a, a hypnotism a hypnotism act although for health and safety reasons i'm not allowed to actually hypnotize anyone so we're just going to be pretending to be hypnotized <laughs> and then they just do the same show yeah. <laughs> and not do it as well. i was talking to a hypnotist who is doing this in his show he says yeah sometimes i do a hypno- hypnotist show and then other times i don't do a hypnotist show i just do a fake hypnotism show and he says same no thing. difference right. yeah, like 
I mean, there is a difference. I mean, the, the, the attitude of the audience is different and the attitude of the people on stage is different because there's this different kind of belief. There's a different kind of mindset. Either, However, are we taking it seriously or not? Yeah, but it's even when they don't take it seriously, he gets a good response. Like right. he says, it, people find it just as funny, but different funny, but yep. just just as funny and just as entertaining in that way. So when you're, when you're developing your own comedy stuff as well, do you, do you take these routines and do your own versions or do you analyze what's funny about them? Actually, then- I don't know if I ever can consciously develop comedy. I expose myself to comedy every day. Yeah. I intentionally hang around funny people, send text messages to funny friends, or, and this is the best thing in the world about the internet, YouTube has almost every great comedian in the history of the world on yeah, it. Yeah. And you can just, watch and listen. Just, just yesterday I watched the Louis C.K. Do you know Louis C.K. Yes, as well? Yes, Louis C.K. Like, I mean, I would never He's, be able to do, I don't think there's a single joke of his which I could ever perform. Right, right. And he's really he's hard. Just, he's yeah, mean almost. But yeah, but you can watch the him. Honesty in that guy is, is yeah. just amazing. He's, I mean, that's why it, what was his the name of one of his shows was like Shameless or something because right. it's like he because he just anything he wants to say. And Doug Stanhope, say, do you know Doug Stanhope? Yeah, a bit, not so much. Go you know. for watch Doug Stanhope. He and Louis C.K. are the the serious, hard, depressing. You th- fell asleep in a pile of your own vomit type of comedy on yeah. the ground of because humanity, we are animals. We are trying to get by in this world, and yeah. it's very tough. And I could some never be that honest. Good. I mean, he's hilariously funny. I mean. Yeah. Doug Samuel, I don't know as well, but Louis C.K. hilariously funny, but I couldn't do that. Me neither. I couldn't do what they do, but I can say this. If I watch those guys, the next few times that I attempt humor that day, it's sort of like them. Like, I believe, I work out with weights, and each time I want a muscle to get stronger or bigger, I have to repeat a certain number of exercises and then have a certain number of rest days with extra protein. And and this grows the muscle. I believe that the mind, and especially the comedy mind, is a muscle. You, You exercise it by watching a lot of comedy by listening to a lot of comedy and by attempting it and by attempting it you can just say something to a friend and if they laugh make a note of it their friend laughed um i've got a few things that i say when i'm in germany that i would like to have in a stand-up routine that would not work outside of germany and i don't speak fluent german i speak a very basic amount of tourist german but some of the things that i've noticed about germany crack the germans up and the other day i attempted two jokes and one of them was not specific to Germany and it didn't get any laughs from the Germans. But the joke was, it's just a new joke that I want to throw in. I said, yeah, I love my job. I, I don't make a lot of money, but I get to see a lot of places. Uh, the problem is when you're a street performer, you, you have to be on a budget. And uh, I said, um, I said, for example, when I go to China, I can't do everything I want to do. I had to settle for seeing the pretty good wall. You know, yeah. <laughs> and I got, but the English speakers giggle at that joke. Yeah, yeah, the German yeah. people don't get it because they don't know the, that it's called in English the Great Wall of China. Yeah. Well, the thing is, because I like to laugh just as much or more as I like to tell jokes, I laugh my ass off at myself completely failing with these Germans. But you just said that, that joke, can you? Wall. You just say it anyway. Yeah. I've done that before yeah. as well. I, uh, when, once I, because I don't do a lot of, I mean, I used to do a lot more street performing and stuff and lot, lots of stuff at festivals. Now I don't do, I've only, I did two street shows this year okay, and, that, yeah. and that's it as well at, at a You're festival making in living Poland. without street yeah, shows. Yeah, yeah, it's not what I do anymore. But what I used to do a lot more is do hosting shows at juggling conventions and I could be at a place and, and, I, and I've done this all over the place as well and I'm saying jokes in English to an audience who doesn't understand English in English and then having to explain them in with mime right. you know like actually go no this is really funny because look it's funny because of this and then like take it a really long time to explain a joke which I it's not even that funny anyway you know but then they'll often applaud when they don't laugh they'll applaud at your attempt and they yeah. feel that you've been you've been see there's always 
been around me in my life, when I've seen performers, until I became a performer, most every performer that I personally knew had a huge ego because they were a performer and everyone else was only watching and never going to be as good. But for me, the Monty Python guys and the Beatles and other British performers, Rowan Atkinson and Benny Hill, they were always making fun of themselves. They, in a room full of people, they didn't really want to be the center of attention unless they were working. They liked the fact that they weren't Mr. Brilliant, God's gift to entertainment. Yeah, like, I, that's the guy I am. I don't like to be. The whole show is really about the audience. Yeah, you know? that's that's the most important thing for me as well. I I wanted to write a blog post about a ring juggling routine that I do, and it's a funny routine. It's good. I've worked hard, you know, on it you know, over the past year and a half to put it together, and I have a low ceiling version of it. So, I, but because I wanted to talk about both of these in a in a blog post, I uploaded like an original version with me drop list, you know, seven eight minutes or something like that, yeah. and it's it, all the different routine, and then it's much shorter version which i just do on a, under a low ceiling and someone put this um this message up saying uh like oh, oh i like your other stuff this is just you doing some tricks and there's there's nothing clever about this i like the stuff that you do with the video you know i can't remember the exact you know t- but the tone of it was like all you're doing is tricks to music and i was just and there's you nothing shot clever about in it the foot with that guy. And, I was, and i was just <laughs> like, and but the thing is it's like i don't care if some a juggler on the internet. I know it's bad to say this, but I don't care if some juggler on the internet isn't impressed with a three-minute extract from an hour-long show right. that I did, and the video. And I made a video of that show, and I got a standing ovation at the end of that routine that he's not impressed with. And at the end of the show, I got a big standing ovation too. And the the cruise director, who's my boss on the on the ship, I did. I went a bit long in the first show because it was like a, an earlier show. It, it just worked out, and I didn't realize that there was something directly after my show in the same venue. Uh-oh. Normally, they tell me if there's something like that. It didn't tell me, so I went 55 minutes. I'm only meant to do 50 minutes or 57 minutes, something like that. I always time the the, the the shows that I do, and he says, "Oh, it's a bit long." And then in the second show, he says, "Oh, well, it's still early. You're doing an 8:30 show. Normally, I do like an eight and 10 o'clock show and this was a 6.15 and 8.30 show so he says don't wait there's nothing you know it's not too late you can go as long as you want so I did an hour and five minutes on stage and I meant to be doing 50 minutes but I did an hour and five minutes got you know it was my first standing ovation on that cruise ship for a year and I perform on this ship all the time but it was one of those things it's like I know that for my audience at that time that was the best thing and I'm not going to show off my juggling wang to some (laughs) guy on the internet to impress him whereas the people in the audience at the time what they needed to see was all the clever stuff and all the funny stuff that I do but actually what they wanted to see at that point was three minutes worth of technical juggling set to music with no jokes you right. know what it's just they that wanted kind of was to be entertained yeah and hey if you follow up a lot of talking with a lot more talking people yeah. can lose interest in the same way if you follow up a silent juggling routine with another silent juggling routine uh, people can lose yeah. interest this is the mistake often made at these gala shows at the conventions yeah. they follow a silent very french style spotlight leotard mm. white club barefoot act yeah. with another french style leotard yeah. spotlight where there's a lot of prop fondling and gazing yeah. and staring and people are like i'm always like get on with it you know but i, I don't say it <laughs> out loud that down. <laughs> but, but i but i always feel like if you if you plan these gala shows then people will enjoy yeah. the quiet french style act because right before it you had somebody loud and obnoxious like me who came yeah. out and talked and dropped stuff yeah and now you want an elegant refined polished dancey thing but just not too much in a row so of course you were right 
Your well, three-minute act, when you did that three minutes of technical juggling with no talking, it was exactly the right time for it. You got a standing ovation. Yeah, yeah. But the, th- the weirdest thing was, I mean, it wasn't a full standing ovation at that point, you know, at the end but of the show. But one guy in the front stood up. But, he needed to go to the toilet, but yeah, that counts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be called a, yeah, a toilet ovation. Where right, exactly. Let's count um, it anyway. But the, uh, but the thing is, is that normally, like at the end of my show, I always say, look, at this point in the show, you get to decide what you want to see me do at the end of the show. Oh. I can do some more technical juggling, clever technical juggling, set to music, some more routines. I have them here. Or you can see me juggle something stupid and dangerous. And I just get to people cheer. Do you want to see something stupid and dangerous or something clever and technical? Generally, clever and technical doesn't get a, a, a look Response in. Because all, I've yeah. done that already. And, you know, people know what my level is and they know the kind of things they can see. And really, they want to see me do something stupid and dangerous yeah. with, you know, knife juggling on a roller bowler, that kind of thing. And I know when I've been really good at juggling and with the stupid stuff and the comedy stuff beforehand, when I say, do you want to see me do something stupid and dangerous or technical and clever? And they cheer just as much for the technical and clever Then part. you know you've really kicked ass. Then I know that I'm doing a really good show and I'm probably going to get a standing ovation at the end yeah. because that's that time when I'm going to go, look, I, I say, look, guys, what are you wanting now? What do you want from yeah. me now? Do you want me to be stupid? You know, and, and I understand where I'm going with that cheer. And generally, if people, if it's just a normal show, they would go, what do you want to see? Stupid and dangerous. And they go, oh, yeah, stupid and dangerous. That's a change from what we've seen already. It's all like, yeah, let's move on and stuff. But when they're like, no, we're totally, utterly comfortable with what you've shown us so far. And we want more of the same. I know that the end of my show is strong enough that I'm going to do something different anyway. Because there's no way I'm going to do more technical and ju- technical right. and I'm going to do the knife juggling bit because it's a strong part. Yeah, it's a really strong end of the show but again it's one of those weird things there so yeah, i think we we all have to tamp down our egos when we when we first learn that we have a skill that people will pay to see they'll clap they'll cheer they'll come up and say thanks uh i love the fact that i naturally don't have enough confidence to have a monster ego i do yeah. have my juggler's ego like every juggler my performer's ego like every performer but because i've been around so many divas who think they're god's gift to the stage uh i really it am, gets tiring doesn't it yeah i'm really glad that i'm not one of them that i that i'm always feeling like everyone else is better than me and I'm still aspiring to climb the next stair up to where they're standing uh, and they're just they've raced past me some of them and some of them were already there and they've left me behind and and I feel humbled one of the things about traveling and going to juggling conventions is you know unless you're Anthony Gatto or Tomas Dietz you're not the best and you're not going to be the best no. you're not going to even get to the tunnel where you see the light at the end yeah. that's the best it always, I always find that really interesting when I, I've been invited all over the place to perform you know and to host shows and people invite me to the convention and I'm booked as like the main performer like and I'll be hosting a show or doing some action in the show but then there'll be this like random guy from a circus somewhere he'll just completely blow me away with technical juggling stuff and then they still want me to go on last and I'm like yeah. no don't put me on last put right. these other guys no, put this guy on. I'll host the show put him on last we won't show each other and again it's sort of like I don't care what happens on stage as long long as it's for the good of the audience right. and it, when i'm hosting shows uh you know i've made mistakes in the past where it's been a bit me centric but i think just all you need to do is organize all of the open stages in ejc for a few years and you meet the divas and you know realize what, you, not yeah, you, to be one yeah you realize not to be yeah, one because yeah. some people yeah, i'm not criticizing them because you know they could be new performers they could just you know they're not quite sure that or maybe they're just used to working in a more professional environment and when it gets to the point where it's like no you're not going to have a technical run we're going to check if your music's 
working and you're going to have a look at the lights and make sure that none of the lights are shining your eyes and that's all you're going to get because that's what everyone else is going to get you know it's that kind of attitude and i, I understand how people can be put out by that right you know, of course if if someone was like that to me in a in a professional environment i'd be like i would be a diva you know sometimes yeah. i have been that like when i've turned up to a uh, but I to think a gig it comes and i'm from like a good place uh, now yeah. it comes from a good place now you're saying i yeah. demand certain things because if well, not as the a show professional, won't be what i need yes. to be you're yeah. paying me to be here let yeah. me give you what you're paying for yeah, yeah. let me try it's to frustrating. It's frustrating when other people sort of let the show down. Okay, what else did I want to talk about? Oh yeah, let's move on to um, talking about a bit about the the technical side of your juggling. Mm. Your show, I first saw you perform. You came over to Chockfest, which is a small <laughs> festival back in what two thousand two, two thousand and two, yeah. yeah. and that was the first time we met and we hung yeah. out a bit and juggled and things like that. I remember. And uh, but you were performing on stage, and you, everyone else, like you say, everyone else on the in the show was pretty much just juggling to music, maybe mm. doing some silent comedy or something. But you got up there and you did some spoken comedy oh i think you did like a, a, a duo juggling act and then it yeah, was, i had my yeah, partner carrie there yeah carrie the you and yeah. carrie did it act but then and it's his birthday today by oh, the way happy really? birthday happy birthday carrie <laughs> and uh, so people now uh, <laughs> couldn't work out when this has been recorded um but but then you got up and, and you did some funny juggling but also you were funny with it you were like aha now who wants to see some five club back crosses you're juggling five clubs and do people someone doing five clubs and being funny that was something that stuck with me and I thought, oh, I can, I can be technical. And funny. And funny. Because it really annoys me when I see people on stage and they're the comedy juggler. Well, it doesn't annoy me. It's just it's not the kind of entertainment that I like to see so much unless they're really entertaining. But often comedy jugglers, they'll be like, ah, I'm going to do something with three balls and say, tell some jokes at the same time. And then I'm going to do something with three clubs and tell some jokes at the same time. And now I'm going to do something with a plunger and this. I know you use a plunger. But I'm just saying that they, they have some objects and then they tell jokes but it's a lot, you know, it's disconnected. Well, I, I and yet the juggling, like you say, the juggling on its own isn't enough to impress me. Right. When and, you're at a juggling yeah. convention, you, in my opinion, the whole show for the juggling convention, remember that every person has paid big bucks. A lot of them are students. They're broke. They've paid their whole savings for that month yeah. to be at that convention. They want to see a mind-blowingly good and entertaining show. And if it's a comedy act... Uh, they want to laugh their ass off. And if it's a mild amount of comedy, what a juggler thinks is funny is not necessarily funny. If it's a mild amount of comedy, it should be propped up with kick-ass juggling. And if it's a, a technical trick where you're talking, say something that's worth hearing so the audience giggles or, or yeah. claps or appreciates ah, it. That's summit as well. Listening to Penn Jillette one of his radio shows that he did, he was talking about Brilliant Teller. Yeah. And Teller is a silent independent. This is from Penn and Teller. Penn does all the talking. Teller does all the the magic. Well, not all, you know, it's not exactly, but Teller doesn't talk. And he said, it, and the reason he doesn't talk is that when he first started doing it, it was like, I will, you know, he's, he saw the magicians and he was like, I will take this cloth and put it in my hand and then I'll yeah. lift my hand up. And it's like, yeah, we can see you doing that. So There's he no just need didn't to, need the yeah, words. Yeah, you don't need to do that. And that's, that really spoke to me at the time is because I thought I can't, I, when I'm saying stuff on stage, it has to be more than just describing what I'm doing right. as people are watching me do it. And I see that so often as well with other entertainers, well, as, you know, especially magicians. You right. Know, as as magicians and jugglers start off, some of them are technically gifted with their fingertips or their whole bodies, but they aren't gifted in speaking and they don't know 
how to talk to people. And that's one of the reasons, thank God for it, they were driven into this kind of performing in the first place. They, they were socially inept. They were shy. They were quiet. They wanted some kind of expression, but they're not an athlete or a dancer or an actor or a model or a playboy. Or oh, a stand-up comedian yeah. who just stands there and right. does These nothing people, except talk. Their yeah. vehicle to bridge the gap between them and strangers was magic or technical juggling uh, or other things. And this is where... This we, was you as well, wasn't it? Well, no. For me, I was really shy, but I was always, like even as a child trying to do accents. My dad loves to tell comedy stories. He loves to do accents. He loves to tell jokes. My mom's dad on the other side of the family was also very into telling jokes and changing his voice to be funny. He loved to be the center of attention at dinner. My mom loves a good joke. She laughs hysterically. She, She turns red and tears come out when she laughs. And it's to get these people to be so happy. My mother's father had 12 brothers and sisters and every one of them was funny. Mm. They, they were, they were, they were from a time when there was no TV. They were poor. They're, of course they were poor. You start out rich, you have 13 kids, you're poor. Uh, but the thing is they had so many of them. Like when my grandfather died, he smoked and drank and he, he died a little bit younger than, than he maybe could have. Uh, but all of his rel- his brothers and sisters were from age 60 up to age 80. And the funeral was one of the funniest things I've ever attended. The funeral. Because he, they kept saying, now remember, don't be down. He wouldn't want that. And they'd crack jokes and crack jokes. Make fun of how he looked in his coffin. Make fun of each other. Make fun of me. I'd make fun of them. It was hysterical. And that made me realize it's in my blood to tell jokes. It's in my blood to take the piss out of myself. Yep. Bill Bryson, the author, points out that Americans don't even have the expression to take the piss out of something. You Brits have it. It's great. Uh, to me, the best comedy in the world is from your country, Britain. And uh, Britain, is that a country? It's an island. But but the, the Albion, United yeah. Kingdom... Uh, is where, to me, the English-speaking comedy is at its zenith. And if you aspire to be that funny, like when I was watching Benny Hill and all this stuff, uh, that's what makes you funnier. Uh, in addition to the American stand-up comics, British comedy, to me, is the standard. But let me get back to this thing about technical plus comedy. When I was coming along, it bothered me, just like you said it bothered you, that everybody who was going to do comedy juggling immediately had to kill all the juggling chops. Yeah. Why does comedy have to exist in a juggling vacuum? Yeah, it was, t- it was toning down the juggling. Not to- toning it down. They would go from a guy who in the gym can cascade five balls to a really bad, boring three-ball cascade with drops and pauses and stops. So it's like if the comedy ain't absolutely hysterical, the show sucks because you know this guy's better than this. Why not show your good stuff? Yeah. So I came along, my first juggling comedy hero was Edward Jackman. And if you've never seen Edward Jackman, I'm sorry, but he was such a master. He's probably still performing. I think he did some pure acting too. And he's a good comedy writer. But Edward Jackman performed seven balls and five clubs and three tennis rackets and a bicycle balance and five ball bounce and all kinds of incredibly solving Rubik's Cube while juggling it with two balls and uh, six rings and all this stuff in his act while being absolutely funny. So when you'd go to the comedy club, which I did, to see Edward Jackman perform at a live stand-up comedy club, he was the headliner. The two guys before him were the MC act and the opener. Or No, sorry, the, the MC opener, then the feature act. And then him, the headliner, even though Edward Jackman was a champion of the International Jugglers Association technical competition, when he talked, he was funny enough that even though the other guys were appearing on The Tonight Show, this guy was the headliner, getting the biggest paycheck and the biggest time slot for his act and kicking butt. He was doing the NACA comedy tour on North American College yeah, uh, activities or whatever. A lot of comedies. Yeah, yeah, the passing zone, they're big in that and everything. So he would do 
a, a really amazing routine and then make it funny. Like when he solved the Rubik's Cube while juggling it with two balls. They were regular blank silicone balls that had no design on them at all. Yeah. So he would hold the Rubik's Cube up and he'd go, all right, solving the cube while juggling. And he would make this really like, I'm so good voice. Yeah. And really kind of piss taking already. Yeah. And he would juggle. He'd throw two balls up and turn the cube one time. And then he'd throw the two balls up and turn the cube again. For, first he'd start like, this is going to take a while. And he looked yeah. like he was going to juggle two balls with one hand, try to solve it with the other. Yeah. But finally he would get it all solved. And the audience would start cheering, and he would hold the cube up and show them all sides. Yeah. And then he would hold each ball up and show them all sides, yeah. implying that he had solved the balls. And yeah. that was the funniest bit of that routine. Yeah, it's like, it's like not only have I solved the cube, I've check sol- out the balls. Yeah, 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 exactly. And he also had this thing where um, he would balance the bicycle. And I still have a tribute to him in my show, two tributes to him in my show. And one of them is he would balance the bicycle on his head, and he would have the audience volunteer hand him his three tennis rackets, and he'd go, thanks a lot run yeah. <laughs> like the, te- the bike was going to fall the tennis racket was going to fall get off the yeah. stage and I still have a okay thanks a lot run I have a bunch of kids ha- handing me my tennis rackets but I have I have a plunger instead of a bike but once the kids <laughs> hand me my tennis rackets then I say thanks a lot kids run save yourselves I'm not very yeah. good you know and that's a tribute to Edward Jackman he and then Billy Prudhomme and Barry Abraham were also back then Barry John he changed his name they were the funny guy who was extremely good at technical juggling yeah. and well, I liked how they put both in their show and if you didn't like comedy because there are some people who are humor impaired yeah. and they just don't laugh ever but they are clapping wow this is an achievement this man has yeah. has mastered well, the gravity of this room and blah blah and so those people are impressed by Barry or, or Billy yeah, I or always Edward. find it amazing when people say oh you're the best juggler I've ever seen I'm like really not really not I'm like <laughs> maybe maybe for you most entertaining I'll take that you know I'm, you know, I know I'm entertaining. I know I do good shows and stuff like that. At best juggling, but the thing is, they've never really paid attention to good technical juggling before because it's not as interesting as the funny stuff. Well, I get. So I, I agree. I, think I agree that. So, I mean, I do five clubs on stage. I do six clubs on stage. You know, and things like that. Um, you know, depending. You know, depending on the different routines and things. I do. And how I, high your ceiling? Yeah, is and how high the ceiling is and things like that. Yeah, sometimes I only I only pack you know three clubs if I know I'm performing under a low ceiling. But then even even the uh, even the stuff that I do with the three clubs is still actually quite technical. I ba- do a balance and then lay down and stand up again with a with a with a balance on my nose, you know, and things like that. Which isn't it isn't like technical technical juggling, but I'm never I never want to compromise the the, the technical level of my juggling just for a joke. Right. But of then course. but then in a way I don't want to compromise the 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 low level of juggling just to prove that I can do something more technical. Does that make right, sense of as well? You don't it's that balance. Be... I want to you know I want people to say that was a really good juggling show and someone to say that was a really funny show and if I do the the best job possible someone to just go that was just a really good show well but going back to what you said when someone comes up to you Luke Burridge and says uh, that, you're the best juggler I've ever seen it is possible that that's true because most yeah. people don't see any jugglers yeah, that is, in South that, Carolina that's not, there's yeah. no jugglers yeah that's not you know? that's not my point is is yeah, okay, I understand what In you're saying. In other words, you're Luke Burridge. You're it's a guy who does thing. technical juggling, so they might have seen somebody do four or five balls. You've exceeded that. You've done seven rings, and for them, that's the highest my level point is, technique they've My point seen. is that they've probably seen movies on, on TV, and people are doing five clubs and six clubs, you know, and that kind of stuff, yeah. and they, they might have seen, you know, bits and pieces on variety shows with people better jugglers than me. However... I'm saying it's that that I do an all-round entertaining show with yep. lots of comedy as I do. Okay, let's go back back a bit before you. So you have a tribute to someone's act in yeah. your show. Yeah, it's it's well, just I, that it's just that sort of like the the spirit of that joke is like when something happens and you're like run. I do the same thing in my show. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I you know I don't say it, it exactly you know exactly that same way, but it is one of those one of those lines. However, 
I know that you've got strong opinions about st- other people stealing material, and this is why you never put any videos of yourself up online and stuff. Well, like I don't. That. Is I that- put a lot of videos of myself online, but I don't put any of my original comedy online. There, there is some if you want to find it, uh, because people have videotaped me, and I can't control what people with a with a phone who can take video can yeah. put it on their little YouTube account. Look, I saw this juggler, and but I'm not thinking that they're going. One of them used my real name with it and put it on there, and it shows me doing a show on a windy day when I'm really tired. And I'm not that good that day. And it, it pisses me off that that not very quality show of mine is on YouTube with my name on it. But, but I can say that, that when you say I'm a, I hate when people steal material, um, I believe that people should, should let me inspire them and they should let other people inspire them. But don't get all your ideas from one act. And you also got to realize that no matter how good you think you sound when you sing a song, you don't sound like the guy who sang it. You might have the luck of sounding just like Elton John on one song, but if you like Elton John and you sing all his stuff, you're an Elton John cover guy who sounds like you doing an impression of Elton John. So you might as well think in juggling, it's very important to remember that your voice and your body style and your juggling style and your stance and delivery and timing is all going to be you. And if you can celebrate it being you a little bit, rather than trying to sound like somebody else. It's going to give value to what you do. And if you're just imitating, you're, you're cheapening yourself. And you're, here's why it hurts to steal material. It takes me 20 years, 10 to 20 years, to make a joke really funny. First, it happens as an off-the-cuff little thing. Then I forget it. If I actually remember to do it again, then I'm like, oh, how did I do it when it was funny? Oh, crap. And it takes, it takes an eternity to get the joke right. But it takes a millisecond to steal and copy it. You know, somebody can take my routine. That's a very simple little trick. I have a routine that I invented where I'm juggling and I, and I balance a club on another club. And people will often give you a ooh or a clap or what. Thank you. And now I will flip the club over and catch it again, right? And then instead of flipping the balance club over, I put a lot of effort into my face and my facial expression. And the club that I'm just holding the other hand, I flip it over and catch it. Thank you. You know, that gets a great response. I wrote it. It's mine. If someone steals it, it's still mine. So they really shouldn't steal it. They should make up their own. Because it took forever to come up with that back in the beginning when I needed something that was mine. So I made a, a, a promise that I, I saw other people getting a career out of ripping other people off. Yeah. And I decided I would rather fall flat on my face and not be able to be a juggler than steal other people's stuff. And I don't steal other people's stuff to this day. Yeah. I don't want my stuff stolen because I wrote it myself. And I don't want other people to steal other people's stuff. I yeah. want to discourage it. But there is sort of like a, a set number of like standard, like yeah. it's sort of almost like, you know, like the, you know, Great American Songbook for singers, you know, they can yeah. they can do the standards. I'm saying with, with street show entertainment, there are some standard lines that you'll do. We call that stand- stock lines. Yeah, the stock lines. Yeah. That's fine. You're saying that's fine. It's in the same way that, you know, like a guitarist can't come up with a new sound every time. They're going to play chords G, D, Exactly, exactly. C. I don't think people should try to reinvent the wheel. I think it's fine if somebody does the, the stock material in their show. It shouldn't be all stock material, but hey, you can, yeah. I've seen guys that make a living fully with all stock and ripped off stuff because they're using they're doing it in a venue where no one knew the source and hey some people don't give a crap if all of it's stolen and regurgitated and repeated but what makes a line stock that's something that you bring up that's interesting to me well, a line that's stock is when it's been pretty clever it's been used but the source has either retired or died. Nobody's making their living off the originality of it anymore, and therefore it's in the public domain. Yeah, but it's so it's so n- that idea is so nebulous when you're never even sure who where the joke comes from. Well, then it's probably and, okay for it to be stock. 
Oh, okay. Like, so, for example, I, I know a performer who ripped off a lot of work from me by going way lower than my price and shut me out of a market. And this guy is a great technical juggler, and he's a pretty funny guy. But he put every line in his entire show. When I first saw his show, I thought it was funny. The next time I saw it was about a year later when I realized all of his lines came from Saturday Night Live and Adam Sandler movies and other comedy movies and other, other like Jay Leno and other comedians. He didn't have one line that he wrote, and it really pissed me off because I'll let my show die a horrible death before I'll rip somebody off. This yeah. guy didn't even make a try at writing a joke and i admit that when i first saw it i think wow he's really clever that's a clever line and then somebody said oh that's not his line I'm like what and when i started checking sources he didn't have any lines really he had well, none and i thought that was horrible because he had he had undercut me in a in a in a market where i was trying to work with all my original and stuff and you just can't respect it anymore and i couldn't it? respect but the thing is he's such a good technical juggler that he didn't need to rip off any lines he, he was he very, very just juggled he could have just juggled he was a great looking charming Good stage presence, good timing guy with great juggling chops, better than mine. A much more natural juggler and a great looking guy who looks good in print and looks good on movies and looks good on the stage and looks good in a costume. And there was no need for him to rip off comedy. But this guy, he would never let me sub any gig for him because he knew that everybody considered me the funnier and more entertaining guy. Why? Not because I was a better juggler, but because it was really me up there. Yeah. It wasn't Adam Sandler or the Saturday Night Live writers. It was me. This is know? this is what I said. I think I either said it on the previous one of these previous podcast episodes when I was talking to Bram Doppelberger from uh, from Belgium, or I mentioned it to you last time we met up when you were here in Berlin. I was like, I don't. I never worry about people taking my lines because. I don't write my material in that same way. I come, come, I do have some stuff which is set and written, but pretty much everything that I say on stage has to be funny right then. So I know that I could probably do, like I say, it's because I base all of my, the root of most of my comedy is in the physical, physicality of it. Like I said before, I can do my show without speaking at all and still be entertaining. That's awesome. So I know that I could do, I could probably do 90% of my entire show twice in a row without repeating any with any material so if someone says okay you can't say this joke tonight you can't say that joke tonight you can't say that joke tonight i wouldn't be able to do it because to be honest i wouldn't remember which jokes i wasn't right, allowed to course. do but if suddenly i wasn't didn't have access to those jokes anymore somebody else had just done a show and had just done those same jokes i know that i could still be just as en well maybe not just as entertaining but i'd be comfortable going on stage knowing that i can't repeat any spoken material as a right. juggler not repeating any juggled material and doing an hour-long show like i do uh, you know, just, forget just, it yeah forget it yeah. It's, it's never gonna work but because for, it for, takes so long to learn oh, yeah. how to do a juggling and this trick is, this and is, get it performable there's a there's a, a comedian in um in the uk a guy called richard herring and um and he's i think at the moment he's trying to do t 10 years in a row of doing an edinburgh show like a like a theater show like edinburgh at the show fringe. yeah like at the fringe as, as a theater show um a tour of the same show and releasing that show as a dvd 10 years in a row New, a new show 10 new, years in a row rewriting completely like, new like, complete new material 10 years in a row so you can you can go and see his tour 10 years in a row and not see him yeah, do the same material and that's incredibly difficult uh, yeah I know I mean, but that's it's, the a, thing. That's, that's it's a constraint that may be inhuman and unfair to himself do you know why he's doing it I don't know just uh, it's just one of those things I don't because I, you know he, he, I read his blog now and then and I don't believe most of the stuff that he puts on there but he is very good you know he's writing stuff all the time but as a juggler that would be 
probably physically impossible to well, learn right, an I mean, hour's think about worth of material. What we're talking about when you yeah. say we're going, you're going to write that much comedy. George Carlin is one of the most prolific and and amazing entertainers I've ever seen. And Carlin had more than ten hours of good stand-up material with very little repetition. He would riff on the same things, but in new ways. But to come up with those ten hours took him fifty-five years. Yeah, exactly. You know, it doesn't just happen. And for for a guy to say in ten during ten years he's I mean, going to do he's, ten he's, different he's hours, been he's doing not. This, he's been doing this twenty years already. You know. So. Well, so but, like, okay, but he's not going to be funny as hell. He's not going to have all A material. He's lucky if he gets Z material. If he's saying, "I've got to rewrite the show every day," don't try to reinvent the wheel. No, no. But, some of the, some of the shows is stuff that he's done before. So, like, like okay. the show that he did this year in Edinburgh, I think, was a repeat of one he did ten years ago. So he is, you know, it isn't. He all, borrows from it, himself. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's yeah. not all new material all the time. But it, what he's wanting to do is to actually have, like you say, like George Carlin did after you know, you know, after fifty years, he's wanting to say, I. I have put out 10 hours worth of, of, original com- material. of original material over 10 years. And for a juggler to do that, I'm saying that's impossible. Now, yeah, because t- juggling is yeah. too, too strict. We only have one yeah. gravity setting for this planet. <laughs> yeah. You know, if we had different, let me turn the rheostat up and make gravity a little faster. And now it's really hard to do two balls. Uh, let me turn it down and do 95 balls. But we have to work with the constraints that we've got yeah. and the, the physical strength of the human body. So, But, but comedy is amazingly refreshable if you don't push too hard to take away I hate when I see a great comedian and then I bring a friend the next time and the guy's forcing himself to do all his new shit and it ain't as good I don't want to watch the band's untested songs when I've paid to see the concert I want to I want to hear all the songs I can sing along to and I think there's a little bit of crossover um, a little bit of similarity in the way the human brain is entertained by music and the way it's entertained by comedy usually the difference is comedy relies more on surprise and music less but there's a little bit of familiarity in comedy that yeah, people you want like, that kind of, you know? like like you said before if if i you know i only know louis ck from his videos yeah. that are online and stuff like that and his dvds so if i went to see him and he wasn't talking about how bad sex was with his wife i'd right. be like why aren't you doing this stuff? And what if he wasn't just talking about his daughter and you know weird sexual <laughs> issues? I'd be like, what? Why aren't you? What? What's this other stuff? You know, is I have a perfect example yeah. to agree with you there. Yeah. I used to love Jerry Seinfeld when I was a kid. Jerry Seinfeld was a stand-up comic. He would appear on Johnny Carson, and I was a kid, and I just was I was in love with comedy, with telling jokes, with watching people tell jokes. They I admired them so much. And then Jerry Seinfeld got a, a show called Seinfeld. And it was a show. Yeah, the sitcom. Yeah, yeah, a sitcom, one of the most successful in history, where he had characters like Kramer and Newman and that idiot Elaine and, and uh, George Costanza. And they were very cool archetypes, American archetypes, you know, mostly rich Jews uh, acting like they're not rich in New York yeah. and stuff, but, but very good. Kramer was my absolute favorite. But to me, it was nowhere near as good. As Jerry being a stand-up well, didn't, comic. Didn't they always put clips of his yes. stand-up in the show? I would watch the show for the first few minutes I was gonna say, I've, and I've get more s- laughs and more entertainment and that warm feeling of a good comedy than I would get from the whole show. Everybody else like, the show's great. I, if I missed the first three or five minutes while he was doing the stand-up act with a little that little bass riff, I would turn the thing off. I didn't want to see I've only ever seen like two episodes all the way through and by far the funniest bits were the stand-up. Exactly. And then at the very end he goes back and does like 30 seconds of stand-up 
stand up at the end, right. and that was it. And I he la- was a master of and, clean stand up comedy. And uh, the only thing I would hate is if I met Jerry Seinfeld because he hates prop comics. And what am I? I'm basically a prop comic. Uh, I come yeah. out with my with my plunger and go, "This is a normal plunger." And I bring out my big one and go, "And this is an American plunger." In America, everything's bigger. Or I'll say, "This is a Texas plunger. They have yeah. deeper toilets." That's where the Bush family lives. What do you think? You know. And this it's a prop comedy. Without the prop, what do I say? You know. So yeah. uh, I think he might hate what I do, and I don't really care. But uh, <laughs> but I think it's incredible. Never meet your heroes. Just remember that. Maybe not. Well, I've met a few, and some of them it worked out pretty good. Um, an incredibly good comedian that nobody knows about is the guy who played Biff in Back to the Future. Oh yeah. His name's Tom Wilson. No no no. I have. I saw some of his stuff on YouTube. He was doing yeah. he was doing a song about how everybody knows him right. from Back to the Future, and it's sort of like, hey, how's you know how's what's Michael, Michael J. Fox, J. Fox yeah, like? He's like he's nice. He's kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> what's what's Michael J. Fox like? He really nice. Yeah. What's Michael J. Fox like? He's an alien. Stop asking me the yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that, exactly. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's awesome. And so I met him, and he was terrific in person. He's a very good guy. He, he's a he's a parent of four kids. And Tom Wilson is the kind of guy I aspire to be. I want my comedy. I like to have just enough of an edge that I'm allowed to say, "Oh shit!" when I drop something. Yeah. I don't want to be censored like I was when I grew up in the Bible Belt. I say, "Fuck it." If people can't handle me saying "fuck it," get the fuck out. But I'm not a dirty, foul-mouthed comic. Yeah. I am a guy who re- insists on the right to not be so overly censored by the Victorian movement that came from your country to my country and stayed there and rotted while yours got rid of it. Um, I, I want to be a little free. But what I admire so much is Jim Gaffigan and Brian Regan not having one F word, not having one shit, not having one damn or hell, and not having one toilet joke, not one sex joke anywhere in their show. They're all they're so clean, and they find incredible comedy material in areas where other comics seem to have beaten it all the way to death they're still coming up with new stuff Gaffigan talks about food uh, Brian Regan talks about airlines and I want to be able to do this I think I can I think I can still say a few new things about traveling through an airport that are funny that nobody else has said and if I can one day I'd like to have a stand-up show with yeah. no props just to do it I no. keep thinking that yeah I'm gonna do stuff and uh, in the end at the moment there's no reason for me to do this at no, all. not you now know, you're I mean, very it, successful it, it, it's like well it's, it's not that I'm successful it's just that that would be so much work for me to come up with even like 10 minutes worth of because I wouldn't even know where to start you know I would I would I you have to I, go to the open to honest, mic nights yeah to be honest if someone got me up on stage and you said okay be funny for 5 minutes or 10 minutes and don't juggle I know I could do that because I, I've done so much show hosting yeah. and I can get up and just do stuff and that's funny but hosting a show is different from being an act in a show right. with no... Too much pressure. They'd yeah, say, John, be funny, and I would be like the most depressing state funeral ever recorded on video. I mean, if somebody says, John, say something in French. <laughs> I, I can't remember my French. I have a degree in French. I used to do my show in French. I lived in yeah, France for a few summers. If that's somebody says, hey, John, say something in French, I can't think of a thing. Yeah, it's what you... Because you, you just said to me before, it's like, how is your German? It's like, I always hate that question because they always say, say they, or someone will say something to me in German. I'm just like, no, I'm not got a German mindset. I've not got... But right. if I go into a shop, no problem. If I just meet someone and need to talk to them in German, no problem, I can do that. But it's such because, a low pressure yeah, thing. Yeah, it's low you, pressure. Yeah. But it's when someone says, how is your German? And they point at me and I'm like, I'm just like, no, I don't do that anymore. Oh, talking clean comedy i was talking to this ah oh, this is a good let me just rant for a second here so met this guy on a cruise ship went along saw part of his show and i was and he was doing this stuff and it was just terrible generally when i'm working on cruise ships what happens um is that if someone starts doing a comedy show and they're a stand-up comedian 
most of the guys doing stand-up comedy on cruise ships they're sort of like an older generation you know yeah. like in the UK sort of more from the from the you know working men's club kind of scene so anyway as soon as one of them says anything about the mother-in-law I just get up and walk out if they say anything like oh men and women are really different or talk about women driving I just get out and walk out if they do any of the same material that I've heard so many times about cruise ships about and what it's like to be on a cruise ship I just get up because I can't deal with it anymore you know because you've heard so much because you've it. heard so much it's the same material over and over and over again anyway this one guy was doing some different material it's a different cruise line that I normally worked on and it's a different style of entertainment because it's a British cruise line and it's a very different style of entertainment on the British cruise line as it is from most of the like the American based and the European based cruise lines that I work on so he was doing this stuff and I was like oh this is new stuff that I've not heard before and then I realised no it's actually only new stuff because I've not heard this kind of material on a cruise ship before because it was slightly, you know, lower tone, you know, but he wasn't swearing or anything, but he was doing this song about, you know, getting old and not being able to get it up or something like that, you know, about, again, same kind of material, but he was doing a song and then I realized actually this is not new material at all. All he's done is taken the old tired jokes and not even original jokes. I realized I'd actually heard them before. And recycled it. But he just set them to music. And yeah. and that was it. And I, and I, he sort of fooled me for a moment that it was something new, and then it wasn't. So anyway, we're going back to the airport. Same taxi back to the airport. You know, at the end of the gig that we'd done. You know, I'd done my show. He'd done his show and stuff like that. Um, and he's uh, and I was like, oh man. I, and he said, did you see my show? And I was like, uh, I only saw the end of it. You know, because I didn't. You know, because I didn't want to hammer something. him in the yeah, taxi. Yeah, I didn't want to say. It, but, uh, but then he started talking about, oh, it's not because it, it, he normally works in the UK and does other stuff. And on cruise ships, they generally have a slightly higher standard for like swearing and stuff. You don't swear on stage. Most you right. know don't, don't do that kind of stuff. Um, and actually, when I said to and uh, you know you don't talk about sex and all this other stuff, and I talked to a cruise director once. I said, well, you tell dirty jokes all the time. He says, ah, my dirty jokes is it's never explicitly about sex. He says, but also the male is always the butt of the joke and it's never the female who is the butt of the joke and stuff like that. So he'd actually worked out the rules that he could get away with telling actually quite risque stuff, but it was always suitable and fine and things like that. Yeah, but I mean, it's so old and tired that I like Louis C.K. and Doug Stanhope because they don't have any taboos. Doug Stanhope will say, man, I hate the Jews. And you can't say that. You can't say nobody in the world is allowed to pick on the Jews. Yes, we are. The Jews pick on themselves and they pick on every Everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, but what you got to do is do it in a way that shows that this is for the purpose of entertainment and yeah. humor, but not to hurt anyone. Yeah. You don't want to appear like you have this anti-Jew hatred, uh, but Doug Stanhope's bit on it is absolutely genius because the Jews afterwards say, yeah, I, I like Doug Stanhope. It's like, yeah, but he just said he hates the Jews. Yeah, but the way he said it. Yeah. And what he really said wasn't hateful at all. Yeah. You know, what he did was somebody it took... Was playing a, up annoyance. <laughs> yeah, what he does, he talks on stage about somebody taking a comment he made out of context that makes him sound like a Jew hater, which he plainly isn't. Yeah. So he went ahead and said, all right, fuck it, I hate the Jews. What do you want me to say up here? You know. Yeah. And, I, and I think it's great when nobody is safe. And one of the funniest performers in Denmark used to be David McSavage. And he was on the street. He ended up doing the Edinburgh Festival. He may be back in Ireland now. But one, one t- time, he showed the value of don't protect any group too much. He was do the same show every day with a lot of improv and a lot of so- solid bits. And he was very funny. He was a one-man band who made a lot of fun of himself, a lot of fun of the audience, and especially Especially being in Denmark, making fun of the Swedes, which is fun in Denmark. It's an easy target because the Swedes come to Denmark to get wasted and they conduct themselves terribly. And he makes fun of them. But one day, I wasn't there for this, but it's a legend. One day, into the middle of his circle rolls a wheelchair guy. 
right in the middle of the circle, not 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 appropriate. Walks, yeah. but cuts through the circle in the middle of the show. He goes, "So, Mr. Funny Man, I see your show every day, but you can't make fun of me, can you? Because I'm the wheelchair, you can't pick on me." And David just pauses for one second and goes, "Sir, you'll never make it as a stand-up comic." <laughs> And the thing is, I, I don't know if that really happened, but that is a street performing legend in Copenhagen. And to me, that's what we're looking for. That's don't good. hurt the guy's feelings. Don't don't push him away because he's in a wheelchair. Don't pick a fight with him. Yeah. Don't steal his money. And don't say he's bad or ugly or something because really that's horrible. But the way he handled it, first of all, he wasn't going to zing the guy at all out of respect. Then the guy said, I dare you to zing me. And man, the line was there. It was yeah, perfect. Yeah, he had it there. And that's what I want. I want people to feel like humor is always designed to make people feel good yeah. and even the person that's the quote butt of the joke you should not hurt them I use children in my show but I don't make the children feel bad I lift them up yeah. but if the kid's obnoxious and being a jerk then I sting him pretty bad and the audience loves that because the parents are standing right there they're not doing their job they haven't yeah. been doing it for years clearly and you just give him a little discipline right there and yeah. it works so I, I think the clean material I want to touch on something you said though you said Quickly, because I, I want to get back to something we said, and we don't have much time yeah, here. Yeah, well, but, you okay. said that you don't like, you won't even continue to watch if it's men and women are different or, you know, this kind of material. But I love that kind of material because it shows me either this guy's ingenious, he's taken this same old topic and came up with something new, or he's showing me what not to do. I always study it if I find <laughs> oh, yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, I get inspiration. I talked quite a bit about inspiration from bad shows before right. of someone else. That but I, I mean, to. it's not always bad. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, think I there are still angles that can be, and I want to make sure if I write a stand-up show that what I say hasn't been said before. So I do have to see everybody it's that research, I can. It's research, yeah, yeah. It's research. Anyway, right. what I wanted to say about this thing is that, because in the taxi, he was saying, oh, it's a pity I can't do this. This is this him and another person I just want to quickly mention here. Is that he said, yeah, because I'd like to do um, my impressions from around the country. So I do, you know, I do Biddley Connolly from Scotland, and he swears. So I like to put some swearing in the bit here, and I, I do Lily Savage as well from Liverpool, and, and then a bit of Jethro as well. And I was like, wait a second. So, and and I and normally if someone says to me something like that, I I just go, oh, that's a bit weird. But this time I actually said it to him because I, you know, maybe a bit tired or something. I said, don't you think it's weird that in your show as a stand-up comedian, you're doing impressions of other more famous comedians? Because Billy Connolly and, yeah, yeah, you know, and I've seen uh, Lily Savage and, and Jethro, these are all sort of like, you know, in a, in a previous generation of, of, of stand-up comedy, you know, they're not the big stars now. I mean, you know, they still are big stars, of course, but their style of comedy isn't even current anymore among the, the new comedy that's coming around at the moment. And he's like, oh, yeah, but it's what people know. And I was like, but for me, that I just couldn't understand. And I don't think that he understood what my problem would be for him so, like I don't know even I don't even know how to describe it that he's doing for his comedy show he's repeating comedy from other comed other more famous and successful comedians that he knows in their voices as part of his show right that's that's too much of not doing your own work yeah and me. it's not even any and I could and I was trying to understand I was trying to I was asking him it's like how do you make that your own material but it it really wasn't that he didn't and, make his own but because I could see and I could tell actually from his show that I saw that he didn't actually do material in the same way like he did and now a train pulling into a station and he would just go yeah. like that and it was just and it was just like Wait, what, what and and anyway <laughs> on the even same entertaining yeah on the same cruise ship i went and saw um opposite my show or in between my two shows or three shows or whatever i was doing that night there was another comedian
comedian down at the far end. Anyway, I saw a bit of a show and I was like, oh, this is a bit weird. He came out on stage and he did the whole just shaking hands with lots of people yeah. while singing a bad swing song at the beginning. And then it just some random stuff and talking to the sound guy. And it was just like no focus and no nothing. It was just like some random stuff from like random stuff. Time random filler. Stuff. Yeah, it, it really did feel like time filler. And I could see what he was going for, sort of like kind of bit Norman Wisdom, maybe Lee Evans mm. a bit as well. So anyway, I went up, got some food because between my shows, I didn't have time to watch this full show. I came downstairs and he was doing this mime to the Bohemian Rhapsody. And I was like, wait a second. And I was thinking, isn't that... Uh, and I was like, that's really familiar. I know that from somewhere. Anyway, breakfast the next morning, having having breakfast with him. And he was talking about it. And some people who had seen his show said, oh, you're very much like Norman Wisdom. And he said, like, yeah, lots of people say that. I said, he's quite like um, Lee Evans as well, because he looked very much like Lee Evans. Oh, you maybe Lee don't Evans, know, do you know, know Lee Evans? Yeah, yeah. Very physical comedy, yeah. you know, lots of random stuff that he does and lots of my, and he said, and then it came up that the Bohemian Rhapsody he did was part of Lee Evans. And I said, like, oh yeah, of course it is. So I checked online. He pretty much did Lee Stole Evans. It. It, he stole it, but then in the breakfast, like over breakfast, he just said, oh yeah, that's a Lee Evans bit. And I was just like, and this was both on the same. Completely the two, shameless about yeah, it. Yeah, completely shameless about it. And you were saying, I have a tribute to him. It's like, no, he did a bad version of a Lee Evans routine, which is just a spontaneous thing that he did want. You know, it's sort of like he yeah. does an encore, you know, at the end of his show, but it's not like, it's not even Lee Evans' strongest material, but it is, a, it is almost a classic bit that you can do, mm. a mime along, to, and he did a sort of, and I, and I was sitting there, I was like, can I, men- can I just say that it, that his entire I know it's bad for me to say that his entire show and his entire view of comedy and stuff like that and his name that he chose I don't want to say his name but the name that he had chosen for his name was like it was like the most generic bland kind of name right. wasn't his own name and I, I always find that a bit weird when someone puts on like hey I'm going to be this person on stage and it's not themselves and it's really weird to see a stand-up comedian take on a persona which isn't their persona and then do a show with it I mean it was it was the most it was like the stalest comedy that I've seen and it gives some of the, you a bad taste yeah, in your like mouth it was like the most dishonest c- comedy it's that dishonest I've seen comedy. as well this is exactly right there's dishonest street performing too and it hurts me so badly to see it I'll go out there on the street and I'll see somebody who's not very good who is clearly just trying to get people to give them money and you can always tell these people steal all their material they're in a bad mood their presentation is uncomfortable and painful to watch and then when people start to walk away they yell at the people hey where are you going yeah you're not even gonna pay me huh and suddenly you realize this is just desperate begging this is the most hurtful kind of street performing it's the kind that gets all of us shut down and kicked out yeah because it's so obnoxious painful to watch Uh, that if I were the city official coming from a whole career of street performing I'd want to throw the guy out or yeah, even and it, throw and him it's into really the sea. bad but then again you see, you understand why these people i mean I, I know it's bad to say it but you understand that why your show makes way more money than their exactly. show and stuff you like understand that. What and I you really... want to keep and you and this is the thing for me when i was seeing these other comedians it's like sure i know that i'm getting more money than they are because well you, you know I, yeah. I got a special deal just to you know to they, be there, yeah. yeah the point is that they, the the cruise company wasn't going to pay me enough and until they paid me enough i wasn't going to do it so, I, do the cruise, so right. yeah i wasn't going to do it so i know that they were paying me more money than 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 probably the other artists well, you on get the what ship you pay for, yeah man. but the, the point is that uh, again it was one of those times where people like the next day were saying oh i really enjoyed your show last night you're way funnier than the comedian and for me as a juggler to be called funnier than the comedian but i saw the comedian he wasn't very good um anyway the, you want to be compared to the good people yeah, you don't want to be better than and the this crap is actually what i'm saying i want i don't want these people to work not just because i you know it's not because i'm down on them and I don't like them or anything it's that i want the standard of comedy and the standard of juggling and the standard of entertainment to be up to be high i want to be the worst person on stage and me i too. always love being on a cruise 
cruise ship and I'm surrounded by people way more talented yeah, than and me. That's why the I'm a good juggler. Are an amazing I always surrounded myself with great jugglers. There are a lot of people who can't handle it. I knew people coming along who were professional jugglers. They were very good. They had good chops. They were nice people. And I say, you want to come to this convention? It's only two hours away. No, I don't like juggling conventions. Why? I feel inferior. I remember this one guy, Jonathan, I feel inferior, he would say. I was like, well, why do you feel inferior? Because I know I can't be that good. Hey, when you go to those conventions, you're not supposed to get better than everybody or blow everybody away. What you're supposed to do is be inspired and get new yeah. ideas. And, and even it might help to practice expressing to that juggler who's really, really good how much you're impressed by them. Practice being a bit humble and stop trying to have the biggest dick. You know, you can't. You, unless you are Anthony Gatto, you can't be the yeah. very best juggler that's alive today. And the thing is, even Anthony knows that he's not the most entertaining juggler alive today. He's very good. He's very good. But he, if he tried to go on stage and do 45 minutes, it wouldn't work. No. Anthony has enough material to do an hour or an hour and a half for jugglers. Even then, you would need a break with a comedy act in there. Yeah. To watch, if you watch his tapes or his YouTube videos, you have to get up and move around and juggle and go for some food yeah. because an hour and 45 minutes of watching pure juggling really hurts, really, and no matter how much of a hardcore juggler you are. But the thing is, even he, even he knows that he's not the pure entertainment for everyone beyond his 11 or 12 minutes of mind-boggling stuff. <laughs> John, it's been fantastic talking to you. Because yeah, you were saying, oh, we don't have much to talk about. And we have. We've just done about an hour and five minutes worth there nice. as well. It was a pleasure. And uh, anybody listening to this, uh, check out Berlin because it's great. And uh, maybe you'll see Luke because he's yeah. great Anyway, too. John Nations, um, again, I've not seen your show. And this is the idea <laughs> is that one day you're going to see my full show, my full stage show. And I'm going to see your full um, street show. Yeah. And then in season two of this podcast if there is one we're going to get back together and do another talk um, a little bit more about different stuff I don't know well, what's that was, the title of this podcast well, going to be it doesn't have a title yet well I've it should be the 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 pre show discussion of how to how to build a comedy juggling show by yeah, Luke this and is, John this is just going to be about comedy and, and performing as well anyway thanks a lot John yeah, thanks and thanks it was fun anything, nothing else you want to say now I think we'll just leave it like that yeah I think that's good but um, I, I would like to say that uh, that uh, if if people uh, see my show um, in Germany please give me a break I, I got a degree in French thank you <laughs> French French show is great German show <laughs> uh, sorry. okay let's uh, thanks a lot John and let's stop this